Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got Christopher Palomares and, of course, New England's own uh, James Lincoln. A lot of activity on the uh, podcast website following Jim, your track laying, your detailing, and Chris, your locomotive uh, remotoring. A lot of people like what we've got on there now, which is interesting because uh, you're using the Cotto motor and repowering some different locomotives, right? That is correct. And you're recording this. You've got it up on your YouTube channel. Um, Almost there. I have to go through and pretty much like do all my uh, voiceovers. And uh, there's a couple animations I got to finish up and then I'll be ready to go outbound but i I did a rough cut and i i think it's going to be a pretty fun pretty fun little build because i I, i'm sure there's a lot of people kind of wanting to do kato and esu or kato and a different decoder but it it, it definitely sets up the stage for whatever decoder you want to put on top okay so the video uh blurb you posted the other day with the unit and it had an ESU in it. Okay, so you show this uh, vignette. Now, that's a, an Atherin frame and truck? Yeah, the um, the locomotive depicted in the video, is that what you're resp- uh, Correct, referring? the one you okay. posted on the podcast Facebook page. Right, that's a that's an Atherin SD39 uh, RTR model. So, and it had kind of the nostalgic gold sort of open frame motor in it okay um not that that's a bad motor anymore there's been a lot of upgrades to that making it pretty darn good but what happened in the disassembly process is i broke the clip to from the uh, from the from the decoder that was there before it just <laughs> it ripped off from the bottom of the decoder and it kind of destroyed the any chance of like it being reconnected and refastened and resoldered down because the pads went with them. Okay. So I was just like, you know what? <laughs> well, this will be the, the grand experiment here. So uh, um, I initially started off on an SD40R just to kind of test how things would work with the Kato motor. And I learned a couple things for the video. So when I did the SD39, that everything just kind of gelled together. Okay. Um, in the process of doing so, I, I ran into a little bit of a wrinkle. The ESU decoder does not quite fit on top of the the Cotto saddles for the the light board that usually sits on top of the Cotto motor. Uh, I had to do a little bit of engineering, and that's in the video. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think it turned out okay, but it was definitely unforeseen, and um, all things created equal, I think I would probably use a different motherboard uh, in the future or doing a similar installation on top of a Kata motor. And this would include Kata locomotives, too. Uh, the twenty Use a different 21-pin motherboard. Uh, I think a, a TCS or maybe another brand that supports the screw mounts uh the to put more detail to it it, it the, the the problem is the esu 
expect sort of Atlas style uh, retaining clips. And the Kato motor has screw mounts and they're a little bit, the pitch of them is a little further inset than the, the retaining clips that Atlas uses. Um, it's not a problem on the Tsunami 2 boards. They just, they're, they're, you can go either way with them. It doesn't matter because they have more like T-configured slots where the base of the T is where the screws go and the tops, top part of the T's are, are for the, uh, the snaps that Atlas uses if, if, if you want to go that route. So, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a challenge, but uh, I, I came up with a, a way around it. I, I wanted to just kind of get through the video, and I think that's going to be kind of a interesting part of this video is the workaround that, that I had to use. So. so, So now you referenced the 21 pins. Are you doing a plug-and-play install? It's, I, I hate, it's, I can't call it a plug and play when I'm in there with soldering irons, really, mm -hmm. in my, my mind. It, it was, it was, it, it was a motherboard that came with the, the Loke 4.0. And this is really kind of my first experience installing a, a Loke sound decoder. Okay. So, but, um, yeah, it, it was some interesting challenges that just, you know, you get used to. Uh, a few different manufacturers and a lot of decoder installs I've done are like either Digitracks or Soundtracks or something like that, you know, so it was, it was kind of cool to, to kind of branch out and try out some different decoders. On that, of course, I'm just repurposing because I'm putting Tsunami 2s and some more locomotives and I'm taking the ESU selects out and putting them on uh, other locomotives, but I've grown fond of the ESU Select Direct uh, one, you know, replacement board style, uh, but it has built-in LED resistance, so I don't have to worry about splicing in uh, 1K resistors. I wish you know, Georgia and the people over in uh, Durango would adopt that uh, on their Tsunami 2s, but I offset because they've got the graphic equalizer, which I'm real big fan of. Yeah. Uh, now, on your remotering. Well, so, you know, you know, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that Atherin would make O scale boxcars too, but, you know, we see how well that's going to go. <laughs> well, maybe Atherin will come out with them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's 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 the next announcement. I know, I know. Chris is just holding back because he doesn't want to get me too excited. Anyway, continue on. You know, it, it's a run. It's a running gag. I got to put it in there. Well, I know, I know. I've even uh, done some cut and splice on it before to put it in. So now, when you drop the Kato motor into the frame. Did you have any difficulty matching up the uh, the drive shafts? Actually, no. Wow. No, it, it's it was you know it, it, when I'm starting to do this uh, these videos, what I'm trying to do is come up with sort of like a ease of installation rating system. Okay. 
and you know it it was definitely not as difficult as some of the other builds like the blue box install is a little bit more challenging and the fact that you have more wiring to do but but this one i i it's really just drag and drop for the motor install there's just a couple little minor things you got to do to the to the saddle just to get them to sit into the frame okay it's so it, they're so darn easy that it's just like you know it, it, you it it it, it makes it practical to do your entire fleet. It's so simple, you know. So it, it's it's definitely something that I think a modeler may want to consider if they're trying to think, okay, hey, you know, I have all the, I have an existing Kato installation of like motors and various locomotives. I have a bunch of Atlas. I have a bunch of Kato. I want to get my my two or three Athern RTR SD39s that I picked up to run with my Kato SD40s. I, I would highly recommend maybe just going this route, you know. Well, and so what? So so Chris, so Chris, how would you say like you're running on a scale of one to M80? What you know? Well, if you understand one, what M80 is, right? No, I don't. M80 is what you want to do with a locomotive after you've tried installing the decoder for a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I, I would say it's probably more on a, a, a about a five. Two? It, 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 oh, okay. A two? No, it, I would put like the, there's two things that that two 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 specific skills that are required in order to do this installation. Number one, the people need to be uh, you know pretty comfortable with soldering. Number two, you got to use a moto tool. To, to do some of these modifications. But it's not like insane moto tool, like, you know, trying to carve a name into a, a piece of wood or anything. It's very just straightforward. But, the you know, when you look at sort of like, as people come into this hobby, not everybody has uh, soldering skills and they may not feel very comfortable with them. And number two, they may not have a moto tool and they may not feel very comfortable using that either. And that's kind of, you know, those two things, if it were like a beginner build, it would be like no soldering and no, no moto tool work. And then it'd be just, you know, okay, any, anybody can do it, you know. Now, could uh, you do it with a file or you need a motor tool? You could probably do it with a file, but it'll take you a long time. And the, the, the thing, too, is that the Kato is, the, the motor mount is more like rubber than it is like Delrin. Yeah. It's much softer, so it, it, it uh, yeah, it, the moto tool just made quick work of it. Yeah. It would probably be a lot of frustration with a, a file as it sort of like bends and twists underneath the file. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking is, could you do it with a non part You know, some people think Dremel motor tool, yeah, and they're kind of like, eh! yeah, yeah. They, they may have a file, but you know, or a knife or something probably more of a knifey or a saw probably a yeah. saw would do better than a file yeah right Just yeah curious yeah uh, you know as far as like um i'd say just any sort of uh modeler that has you know number one gotten accustomed to doing dcc installs so they use a soldering iron frequently enough and number two you know, they, they have to use a moto tool to go in to cut rail or something like that and mm -hmm. build a layout. If 
if the modeler has done those two things, this will be a relatively easy sort of install. But they don't need a mill and a lathe. No, no, absolutely yeah. not. That's the, the beautiful thing on this. It, there's not a huge investment in secondary components. You don't have to get brand new drive shafts. You don't have to get, you know, extra motor mount stuff. You might want to get different screws that are a little bit bigger, but you know you can go to any sort of hardware store and pick up a, a different size screw. You know, so so okay, hardware store or like hobby shop that sells screws. Well, uh, a hardware store that sells over two fifty six size screws and above. Uh, it's actually, I think it was a. The screw you need to put in there that works a little bit better. I tried the original Athern uh, screws, and they were just a little, little small inside the Cato motor mount. So I think it came out to be like a three forty-eight or a three fifty-two size screw, mm. and those just like went right in there, and they they really retained the motor down to the to the frame extremely well. But yeah, all, all, all that's going to be in the video. Um, but and just so everybody else knows, the other option is a lot of times you can go to because in my case, I have a shop that sells that type of screw. The hardware stores don't; they don't go down that small, right? Um, but and there's a hobby shop about a half an hour, forty-five, half an hour away that sells it. Right. Uh, but there's also a an RC hobby shop. Now you may have to get metric because most rc stuff is metric but a lot of times yeah. they sell drill and tap so well you know, the nice thing with metric panic. is yeah is the you know kato being a japanese company that it's a lot of metric parts work pretty ah. well with them. so you know maybe you you might be better off going metric on that you know oh, okay but but you know it, it's it, it's a just you know, when, once you get past like a couple key points where you got to solder some wires to the motor leads, um, extend those up for your installation to the decoder, uh, use a Dremel tool to modify the um, the motor saddle just ever so slightly, the thing just drops together. It, it, it just screws, falls together <laughs> pretty effortlessly. So mm. uh, I'm excited to get this thing up so everybody can... Uh, Cool. in on it one of the benefits is you can then pair motors you know like or locomotives like motor to like motor so the running characteristics are just inherently closer and then you can fine-tune them with cv456 whatever you need to do how about uh and kato is just consistent I've got of all the Kato locomotives, they all run together except one. One is just got a mind of its own, and no matter what I do to the decoder settings on it, it doesn't play well in the sandbox with the other Kato's. So is it, is it a Baldwin? Uh, yeah, no, it's a... Uh, <laughs> it it's, sounds just like a Baldwin. That's, that's realistic, Paul. I've got <clears throat> three or four... Kato 70 Max, and this is one of the 70 Max. Really? They, it's, you know, <laughs> so I just don't even pair it up with one of the others anymore. Mm. Uh, 
likewise, I picked up a third CF7 about a week ago. I wanted one with the Topeka-style angled roof on it. Uh-huh. So I started, uh, I removed the ground plane, put it in a different position, installed an LED roof-type flasher, LED headlights, transplanted uh, one of the select directs off of the the SD40 uh, tunnels that I'm putting Tsunami 2s in. And this thing runs totally different. I can't pair it up right now with the other two CF7s I have. Really? I went back in, put it on Dakota Pro, looked at it. I thought, well, maybe I've set uh, the, you know, one of the uh, momentum settings off or so forth. And I ran it through the dynamic digital exhaust uh, setting well they call it something different back emf on esu and even then it was just totally different so i put it on test rollers the other day and let it run for an hour i thought well maybe it's a lot newer than the others and maybe it's just stiff no (laughs) i have no idea jim uh chris is that could the motor be wound differently i mean i know there's it's a manufacturing process that's probably highly automated for the motors that go in there is that something that would impact you know the it's like it's got a lot of built-in resistance okay uh, you know there, there's a lot of different factors that go into uh motor construction and many of them could be just uh you know materials you know, okay. It, yeah, it, and it's just you know a lot of times that it's that's just bad, you know, um, uh, quality control. So you yeah, know they maybe. let something you know it's it, it's just a fluke. It's it's like you probably are the only person I've ever heard say a Cato motor doesn't run because basically Catos have been so consistent that you can take mm-hmm. a Cato RS three from. 1980 and put it with one of your SD70 Max and they run the same. <laughs> I agree. You know, I agree you know. with exactly your context. You're absolutely and, right. And, and that's why uh, I know it's what Brian Banna and uh, several of the people who have a lot of diesels and are diesel modelers, uh, they just pull the motors out and put in Kato's. They don't worry about, you know, the only reason that Genesis, no offense, the Genesis motor may still be in the locomotives that they haven't gotten around to switching it out yet. Yeah. Um, it's just they found that the Cato has the best quality control and is the best overall and is the easiest to get the motors. And they're not that expensive, I guess. Okay. Um, so, you know, one could say just do what, you know, Chris is doing and pull the motors out and put in Kato's, and then that, that would probably solve your problem. Well, and that occurred to me, especially after the, our previous conversations and then Chris's uh, video excerpt there on the Facebook page. I thought, you know, so I'm going to, because when I put the decoders in, my standard is pull the motor, clean off all the, the high viscosity, you know, <laughs> goop. goop out, and then go back in with never stall or uh, nano oil in the appropriate place and clean all this to make sure it's and when you spin it by hand you know i don't see any undue resistance or anything on it but it uh yeah it, it you know you don't know you know maybe the, the other locomotives you can hear them spinning their wheels trying to shove mm, it 
Well, you know, it could be, you know, who knows? The you know the magnets inside could be off by a thousandth. Oh yeah, or or the magnets might just be weaker. You know. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like all right. I'll go searching for a a Kato to uh, retrofit. Uh, I've already got a number of hours into it, and I've still got weathering and stuff to do on it. But I just love that squared cab. Mm. Uh, now these started out what rail products or did the body when you guys took them over? Isn't that the, the CS7? History? Yeah, those, those were rail power. Okay, even the ones with the uh, what they call some people call the Topeka cab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this the the more angular cab was a a, a rail power cab, okay. and then they also did the the curved cab too. So that you had two different variants. Okay, all right, because it's in the new, when I got it, it's in the new RTR pack, and uh, and it's definitely your guy's motor in there, so, uh, man, I just like that squared uh, cab, it was, I had to pop the number boards and the, uh, to be able to get in there to put in the LED lenses and stuff like that, so now i got to put them back on and touch up the paint, but it's going to be weathered anyway. All right, so I'm looking for a... I, uh, you know, Paul, I have a, uh, in, in my playlist of stuff that I'm putting together on my YouTube channel, uh, I found a gentleman that de- that pretty much does a CS7 Kato motor install. Oh, really? Yeah, he just goes blow by blow how to do it, you know. Oh, well, just send me that link. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll post it onto the Facebook and um, great. And then anybody that's interested, I'm going to be adding to this playlist of of good, um, or, or I should say, not good, but successful. And when I mean successful, the the locomotive actually operates after after the motor <laughs> is installed. Um, I, I was going through YouTube and and people were trying this and they were like pinching the flywheels to the to the motor bells and stuff like that and then you know the cut to the next frame yeah that didn't work so i put in the genesis motor again you know <laughs> i was like okay well that that's not really a successful kato motor install in my opinion so <laughs> not if you I, I, I tend back. To, to leave that those out and just go for the ones where the, the locomotive is operational with the kato motor <laughs> so. well. It's yeah, a successful a successful Kato motor install means that you can leave it on your loop of track for three hours after you've gone <laughs> after you've gone gotten dinner with your with your significant other, come back and it's still going round and round. That's a successful Kato yeah. install. Not right. oops, doesn't work. Right. Come back. That was one of the things that I liked about Stewart locomotives. They they had Kato motors in them. Yes, and even though the body. I tended to upgrade either to, you know, an Athern body kit uh, or the Intermountain to get the, the DTL, the see-through fans and all that kind of stuff. But good grief, the drivetrain is just bulletproof. Yes. Yeah. So I've got like four of them now. Uh, ran into, I remember in our last conversation with, Matt Herman at ESU, I had mentioned I had one of the Intermountain uh, Century 636s and that they didn't make the gyrolites as gyrolites. They just 
had him as an extra set of uh, headlights. And he said, well, there's a way you can modify that. And his schedule, my schedule, could never get to to do it. So I bought just an extra select direct and took out the, the factory unit. And I did like Intermountain uses like MTH uses harnesses in there. And so it makes it easy to trace the wires and stuff. So converted it to over to the the gyro lights and stuff pretty straightforward because they have a good motor to begin with uh now it actually looks good when it's in a consist with sp because of the gyro lights work so good locomotive now i had an interesting situation i bought three more tsunami twos and started changing out uh my three SP tunnel motors and did the first one and put the, just loosely set the body on after uh, reconnecting all the, cause I'd already put LEDs in it and so forth. And the lights were a puzzle. <laughs> the, the rear gyro lights were on all the time. The rear headlights didn't come on. And the front gyro lights came on, but didn't oscillate. Mm. And I couldn't turn the front headlights off. So I, you know, ran it back through JMRI and went crazy. Because, oh, the other thing, at speed step one, it automatically notched up to F8, or, you know, speed step eight. Oh, really? And Yeah. Maybe huh. maybe sometimes I could uh, bring it back down with, uh, you know, the minus uh, RPM feature. So I went back in, looked at it, because I had remapped a couple of the functions uh, and had no idea. Finally got it down to where the gyro lights were responding. I mapped them to F4 and F5. And... Uh, Found out the problem with uh, why it was going automatically up to F8. I had just copied in the DDE settings from one of my first Atherns that mm -hmm. ran so beautifully. And so, and then, but the headlight wouldn't work. It still, you know, it went from always on to not coming on. So I sent an email to George and I said, do you have any ideas? About this. And he said, well, he said, do not presume that even though it's Athern, that the DDE settings will be the same. Yeah. He said, you need to go back in, wipe that out, and reset that. He said, then I think, he said, that'll take care. He said, what it's doing, it's not like it's cross-wired to uh, straight to eight. He said, there's something about the settings and the motor's tightness, all the resistance that it's the load sensor and the sensitivity is just saying, Hey, we got a big load need full throttle. So I did that. And then the headlight, he goes, try this, try that. And it's still the same. He said, well, I think maybe what happened, he said the headlight resistor, you know, transistor just died. 
He said, huh. send it back. It could be a warranty. Or he said, if you don't want to unsolder everything, send it back. He just used one of the other auxiliary light functions and just remap F0 to it. So that's where I am. I'm waiting for some silicone to to dry uh, because the Tsunami 2 light function relative to where the headlights are is further away than it was on the ESU. So I had to go back in, cut the, cut the magnet wire and splice in some 30-gauge, uh, which meant I had to take the, the headlight lenses and the LEDs out. So I'm waiting for all this stuff to, to dry so I can go back in and test it out. But George was a big help. That's, uh, uh, in fact, he was back to me within two hours of my email. And I went, wow. golly, that's customers. <laughs> that's quick customers. <laughs> yeah, support. no kidding. So, but he was right on it. So, uh, I've got one or two more uh, to do, and then I'm going to convert some more to Tsunami 2. Uh, just love that stuff. So, Chris, speaking of Tsunami 2, mm-hmm. what's the latest on the SDP-40Fs? We have them in hand in Champagne, and they should probably be going out this next week, so before the end of August. Okay, because I checked your website, and it said dealer availability, meaning customers getting them from dealers uh, early September, so that would make sense. Okay, every day the mail comes, or UPS goes by, I look to see if maybe they came in <laughs> an affair with trains that shipped the ones I had ordered. Yeah, looking forward to uh, getting those in. Uh, Ken Patterson's videos with them on uh, what's neat. Just oh, yeah. what a beautiful locomotive. Oh, yeah, especially, well, we had those FP7s kind of lurking around. I'm like, you know what? Let's use one of these, too. And that'll... Yeah. <laughs> That'll really set the stage for this thing. You know, we're talking rainbow trains and stuff. So it was just this neat looking hodgepodge of passenger power. You know, a FP7, an FB, uh, or I should say an F7B, and, you know, an SDP40F is just like a dog's breakfast of power. <laughs> well, it's uh, just from the photos. Now I want to go ahead and get at least one of the Santa Fe versions with the notched hood. Oh, yeah. Front nose. Because that'll, they're Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll go with my, uh, one of my Genesis contests that I've already put Tsunami to in. All right, Jim, why don't you talk about uh, what you've been doing on the track and all the details that gotten all the response? So anyway, uh, I haven't done any track work, though. Uh <laughs> I've been noticing this gondola, quite honestly. Yeah, it's, it, have it's, you been rebuilding like the underframe to it or just scratch building it? No, I'm scratch building the gondola. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a total from nothing scratch build project. Um, it, it's my first attempt at scratch building anything, really. So um, it's coming along all right. I mean, it, it's, um, it is, uh, it's a rail gone. Ugh, I feel forget which railgun was made by four different companies so is it um, like a thrall or is it yeah i think it's a thrall it's 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 the copy of the one that was in the uh the the drawings in the railroad model craftsman article from whatever date it was that's it's an exact copy of that oh okay 
Um, each company has slightly different details, although to the untrained eye, you'd look at it and say, oh, it's, they're all the same. They're not. Right. Um, they're slightly different. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the major details of it, you can look at it and say, oh, that's a rail gun. But then you look at the end. When I say the ends, I don't mean the ends. I mean the, the ends of the side are different. Okay. That's, that's how basically you can tell them apart is the ends of the side. It's the, however deep the, the end side post is and whether there's a bevel on it and all that other stuff, that's how you tell the difference. It's, I mean, that's the short short version of how you tell the difference of the different cars, but it is an exact copy of the one that was in the article. Um, and it's coming along. It has stalled. Um, the main body is, I believe, finished. The What stalled it was... Um, I just have a bunch of home projects, and the weather's wonderful. So, um, <laughs> funny how that works, huh? Yeah, funny how that works. And so, I'm working on the underframe, uh, putting in all the bracing for the underframe is where it. There's about twenty percent of the the bottom bracing left to do, maybe fifteen percent. Um, go ahead. It looks like you're really going to town on those bolsters. Uh, you, you know, they're not sort of like a typical HO underframe where, you know, you flip over the, the bolster and it's just like two, you know, angled, straight angle pieces going down. This actually looks like a prototype bolster, you know. Yeah, it, it's got all the, um, you know, the appropriate, but it isn't perfect to now. This is, I've, I made a couple of comments, and I don't, I don't know whether I made them, I think I made them on the O-Scale list, uh, the O-Scale Facebook group, but this is why I like 3D modeling better. <laughs> right. It's because it's, it's right. You know, you get it exact. You're, you know, the, the, the rivets are in the exact right spot. You know, people said, you're not actually drilling holes and in, installing individual rivets, are you? No, don't tell me, don't tell me that, that you're installing individual rivets. Okay, I won't tell you that. <laughs> um, because I am a little better at <laughs> Well, you know, I'm, I'm drilling holes and installing the rivets because, you know, when you're using um, plastic cement, the rivet's actually doing something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually holding things together. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know, you know, so when you look at the side, and the only reason I'm doing it is there's only like eight rivets. It's not. There's yeah, eight, eight rivets per post. Per post. Like. Yeah, and then on the ends, there aren't any. So, and they're very, uh, they're very, you know, it. I think one of the styles of Railgun don't have the rivets, but on this particular version, there's four rivets on the bottom, and they're very noticeable. So you, you know, and you can't, I mean, I suppose you could use the decals, but you'd have to individually cut the decals anyway. Uh, because they're not really evenly spaced. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? Um, and these are cheaper than the rivet decals. I mean, the right. uh, I'm going to use Archer for the weld seams in the floor, but oh um, sure, uh, not uh, not otherwise. And then um, for the weight, I was concerned about the weight, and I'm packing in weight wherever I can get it. And I don't know if I really showed any pictures of it, but I actually. Because of the way I built the bolster, um, 
you know, you have two side, you have two sides, and then I'm putting a plate. You know, I'm, you know, instead of uh, Brian Tovey had a great build of a gondola, same gondola. He did the same project, and he did an awesome uh, series of posts in his blog about building it. He's an English modeler, um, and um, he used a single piece of brass for the bottom plate of the bolster, and then he just bent it accordingly. I'm actually using individual pieces of stock, plastic, uh, and then as they get glued in place, you file it so it looks like it's a single piece. Um, and as I filled it in, I added brass stock, and then right. my father likes to shoot, so he gave me a lot of his spent bullets. Oh, okay. And and I'm you know and I'm it's lead, so yeah. you, know, you you mash that down into kind of flat sheet, and then you can cut it cut it so that it fits into the appropriate spot, and then you it's easy to work with. And I've just been those those bolsters are actually jammed full of lead. <laughs> um, I bet they are. <laughs> as, you know, as best I could. Um, that's right, the one nice right. thing about not using BBs. Uh, or something like that, uh, is because it's flat. So you're actually able to get it into the nooks and crannies a little bit better. So, so how much the, does a typical car weigh? Well, I mean, if, if I was going to go by the NMRA standards, now what a couple people have noted is they don't use the NMRA standards anymore because they're really kind of, you know, with the, the increase in bearing technology and everything, cars tend to roll better now. They okay. don't need they don't need to be as heavy as they used to because the bearing surfaces are better. A lot of my cars have roller bearings. They're actually roller bearings and they roll quite well. Uh, so the weight of the car is probably going to be between ten and twelve ounces. Once I get the trucks on it, right now it's about six. It's about mm. six ounces at maybe between six and seven ounces right now. But the the frame. Um, the bottom of the frame, when you when you build it, um, it's two uh, L girders separated by a piece of um, quarter inch uh, plastic, and uh, from the local um, RC shop, they had brass stock that's a quarter inch wide. So I just filled it. I filled it with brass stock. Is what I did. Is the the, the middle of the frame. Most of the frame is built up with with brass stock to, to get the weight up and, and brass is not the heaviest thing. Um, yeah, you know, I probably could have got quarter inch square steel rod and that would work better, but it was what I could get easily. So that's, that's what I used. Um, you know, some people said, I, oh, you know, you just pour BBs in and, and then, you know, fill it with white glue and which would probably, or no shot. Well, that's what he did. He bought a bag of shot, uh, Shotgun shot, and uh, just poured the pellets in, and then filled it with white glue as for the weight, and that would work. Um, the problem is, shotgun shot comes in like forty pound bags, <laughs> um, and uh, I don't need that much. I'm not building so many cars that I need that much. Um, you know, this is a kind of a, it probably going to be a one off, and and as I told Chris, it just you know I had a bunch of. Really good weather. I'm I'm healthier than I was several weeks ago when I was working on the railgun, and so now I'm doing some outside projects uh, at the house. 
um, while the weather's good and I'm feeling good. So um, it, it's the underframe is you know where I'm at right now. I have a little bit more of the underframe left to go. Um, and then I've got to deal with couplers and I'm waiting on uh, protocraft is going to ha- is having a shipment of um, he's rerunning his roller hundred ton roller bearing trucks and they're coming in sometime in September. And so I'm waiting on those. So since I didn't have any trucks for the car, I kind of said, ah, that, you know, I'm not in any rush. So, so that's, that's where that is. That, that, that project, I really haven't done any track work. Um, I, um, you know, I did that project with the uh, the decals from Bill Brillinger on that locomotive. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, those are great. He did a great job um, with that. And the nice thing about that is it kind of cemented me on the quote unquote prototype <laughs> that I'm gonna that I'm gonna model um, because I thought that's a kind of a neat idea. Neat idea. Since the layout I'm doing is not based on any particular location, I thought that modeling the Carrollwood Pacific and if those those people who don't know that's that's uh, Walt Disney's personal live steam railroad when he had it um, thinking that as being a uh, subsidiary of Southern Pacific and which makes what sense. which makes sense and then you, so you can use Southern Pacific inspired paint schemes because I really like their tiger stripe, their tiger stripe paint scheme, and um, going from there, and just you know, you know, have an interchange with the Southern Pacific, and uh, have everything else be Carrollwood Pacific. And uh, I mean, since the railroad is in any particular location, it doesn't make any difference. So, right. Well, both and, those projects seem to be looking pretty good. Uh, oh, that that locomotive came out really good. I'm very oh, yeah. pleased. Um, the decals were very opaque. That was the, my concern was what are these things going to look at when I slap them on a black locomotive and they came out, it came out great. Um, the only problems I really had were due to, you know, kind of inexperience with, um, doing a, um, (laughs) oh, okay. Okay. Um, this, uh, uh, and, and so, uh, applying the tiger stripes around the details on the back of the cab, had I been able to get the, the, it, it's a brass model and I didn't know how to get the handrails off. So you're trying to apply decals around posts and it just, I'm not, I don't have enough experience doing it to have done it. So I had some issues with that. He did say he would print me some more decals if I needed them. But I was like, you know, I'm not going to. Most of the locomotive is really good. And, you you know, where the real huge issue is, you can say, well, you know, they, you know, put a can of paint there on the back platform or something like that. Or <laughs> something, to co- something to cover it up, you know. Just, you know, it, it's it, a bl- it, it Go takes ahead. me back to uh, to just how it used to be, you know, but, uh, attaining perfection on hand-built locomotives. If you're not doing it constantly, you you just end up coming up with like, well, uh, I'll 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 hide that yeah. in the weathering type thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
there, yes. there just becomes a lot yeah, of diminishing yeah. returns with how much you want to fuss with with like a particular aspect of something. And just like you know what, it's going to be good enough, you know. You know, and, and but you can having been around the prototype enough to know what was it? Who was it that uh, Penn Central? What they actually painted stuff with a mop and bucket? Yeah, they literally painted it with black paint and a mop and bucket. Yep. I, I forget who did it, but I think it was Penn Central, a couple of locomotives. It's, it's like, and so, or, you know, t- t- you know, some of the things they repair something and the, the person repainting it just is awful. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but the rest of it, I mean, the rest of it really looks good. I'm very, very, anywhere where there weren't like serious details or even if there was detail, I could get at it came out very well um it's just you know i looked at trying to get the handrails off and i'm like you know what i'm not going to ruin this perfectly good brass model just you know i'll i'll try to work around it and it just you know tiger stripes i mean you've heard stories forever that tiger stripes are a pain in the butt and they are so (laughs) I, i i cannot tell a lie they are a pain in the butt so, yeah. Well, in the real world, they were labor intensive to paint because of all the masking and cleanup. Well, I'm sure they're labor intensive to paint, but at least you could do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can get around it and you, you put, some, put some tape on it. And it's this, it's like, okay, I can get there. But, you, you know, as the, as the decal settles around what, what was happening, is there's enough of a gloss service on this model that the decals were grabbing really oh. serious. You know, they're, they're, you know, it's that they were grabbing so well that trying to move them anywhere, once they got anywhere, it's like, it's fine as long as you can get at all angles of the spot that you're trying to do. And I just couldn't do it right. really. And then the more my, the more microsol that you put on something, it continuously softens the decal. So yeah. it it wraps around the detail, and then if you can't get the corner of it, it just becomes impossible to work with. If you can't, if you can't get a right angle, it's it, you. And I couldn't because of the details. No detail came out great. Um, but even the pilots were easier. But the pilots, I could get at everything. And by then, I had learned to uh, separate the stripes from the sheet because the way they come printed is it's all on one sheet. So the clear part between the stripes is also a part of the decal, which is good, except when you're trying to go around details. And then it kind of stretches the stripes so they're not straight anymore. Yeah. Um, so what I learned on the pilots was cut cut the stripes away and install each stripe separately. And it came out fairly well. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. So, and I'm kind of a kind of persnickety with my work. So I'm, it's good enough. You know, I've gotten to the point, you know, I, I did a good job, the vast majority of the model and, and whatever isn't very good, you can explain by the guy was drunk when he painted it. Um, you know, so <laughs> I wasn't drunk, but I was decaling. Too much caffeine. 
Jedi yeah. hands. <laughs> that well, does happen yeah. to me a few times too, James. Probably that, that, that could be that, that. That's fairly accurate. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, I just got a. Um, I was able to somebody offered on not eBay but O scale yard sale. I was able to get a um, a Proto forty eighted division point models RDC one. So for the for the same price as you can find on BrassTrains.com, I have a already Proto forty eighted Bud Car. Oh, cool! Yes, I thought so because I thought that might be a good thing. Um, you know, paint that up, Carrollwood Pacific, and have that be the passenger service because I thought the the layout um, such that it is uh, would work really good. Um, the way it's designed is if I can put in some staging. I can have that RDC run from staging to staging and make a station stop on the layout, hmm. and have a have a station platform on one on one section of it, and then come in, make a station stop, and then continue. And the way the layout was designed, the eight by sixteen layout by um, Jim Cantor, he designed it so you can run three trains at the same time. So you have one train going around the loop constantly. You have one train that you can switch the industries, which are all on the inside. And then you had an outer straight track where you could run big equipment if you wanted to, oh, okay. uh, which which wouldn't run on the interior corners because the inside corners are eighteen the the equivalent of an eighteen inch radius. Oh, okay. Um, you have 36, 36 and forty inch radius, so you're not having big equipment run on that. An RDC would look ridiculous, but you put st- the way it's designed, it has places where you could extend staging from it um and so if you do that if you have either a staging track or a small staging yard on each end of the layout then you can have the you know periodically have the rdc i'd kind of like to have two because i mean come on <laughs> i mean come on i mean i just like bud cars you know you just have a couple rdcs running back and forth on, on occasion as a as um you know just the passenger service so, are you going to do a SP theme on those RDCs? No, it will. My, my basic take is I'll do SP and Carrollwood Pacific. So, anything that's fairly local, I'll do Carrollwood Pacific. Um, and you know, you could say that the Carrollwood Pacific is now running the local branch service in this this particular area. I could also do SP. I think it's New York Central, but um, I could do SP as well. But um, you know, which is you know, I'm a B and M fan, but you know, I kind of really like. This allows me to get my, um, a, you know, get my Southern Pacific fix. You know, saying that this branch line, the Carrollwood Pacific, has, you know, running with GP60s, and has got a GE50 tonner and an SW9, you know, an RS11 or something like that running at the same time as the GP60 from Southern Pacific is bringing in the interchange is not out of the, you know, you think yeah. you think of a you think of a Walt Disney Railroad having all old equipment is probably not out of the realm of <laughs> <Yeah>. actual <laughs> plausibility, you know. Yeah, and, and you could have. You know, you, you can have stuff with the tiger stripe paints and still say, well, you know, that's what Walt would have liked. Yeah. He would have. That's what he would have liked. So, <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, you know, the reason I asked was because SP did have an RDC, and they used it on the Northwestern Pacific. So They only had one? They had one. A- they had one. Well, I know, I know, because I've seen... I've seen uh, I've seen a mo- I've seen a model, so right. uh, one of the companies came out, which is interesting. You, you'd think if the railroad that had the what was the railroad that had the most RDCs, Boston and Maine, and like none of the major companies in O scale. I'm not talking about obviously Rapido, uh, but in all major companies, they like they don't do B and M. They do Santa Fe, they do SP, and SP, you said they have one. Yeah, they have a <laughs> RDC. <laughs> <laughs> they had one. B&M had hundreds. Yeah. And you didn't make any, but, you know, you know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the one that makes these decisions. But either that or I've just never seen any, you know, that's, which is entirely possible. To mm-hmm. Wait, let, me, let me look at this model. Division. And Division Point supposedly is the nicest version uh, yeah they did <laughs> yeah the uh, rdc one they did new york central pennsylvania reading seashore lines southern pacific western pacific and on deck <laughs> yeah exactly no yeah, respect. why would you do no respect no no via rail ones you know yeah uh, yes. yeah but yeah but a lot of the people in O-Scale are are steam era modelers anyway but either that or this is one of those things is the only reason you ever see sp ones is because people bought up all the bnm ones which is entirely possible too it's not like i've paid close attention to the o scale brass market (laughs) this is true because i've gone to these shows and you see the price of an o scale brass model it's like first and second born and you know yeah yeah kind of kind of <laughs> uh, oh okay uh, you glacier park models and um i was having a conversation with someone and you know the difference between third rail sunset models and glacier park is is huge yes you're paying your firstborn and a leg for Glacier Park's model, but it's exquisite. You know, you'll be. They say even though it's expensive, you'll be far happier with the Glacier Park's model than you will be the with the third rail. So okay, I don't know. So everything you do is two rail, though, right? It's Proto Forty Eight, but it's two rail. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Are you DCC? Yes. Okay. For all intents and purposes, I don't have anything running right now, but yes. Okay. It will be DCC or battery power or one of those. Oh, okay. Dead rail. Yeah. I think that would be cool. Yeah. It's kind of solves a lot of the issues with, you know, switch oh, wire yeah. and that foolishness. So that's the way I'd like to go. Yeah. With the uh, humidity, even with the whole house air conditioning, I've noticed here that Certain locomotives, especially that new uh, angled cab uh, CF7, a lot more sensitive as it goes over the junction between rail sections. And it could be humidity issue that the wood frame is maybe causing a little issue there uh, with continuity as it goes across. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Put a cable, 
But put put a K, put a Cato motor in it. Maybe that'll fix the problem. That'll do it. You know. <laughs> An eighteen volt motorcycle battery, whatever it takes. There you go. I would like to do that. I think the next one will be battery power. The next uh, iteration, because uh, the object of moving has come into the conversation again. <laughs> oh. Oh boy! Oh yeah! You getting flood out of uh, out of house and home over there or something? No, no. We've had some street flooding, uh, but that's oh. like a foot deep, and that's oh. nowhere near the threshold of. I, th- I think we can go up to about a, almost a ten foot deep street flood before we'd have to worry about any encroachment oh, wow. on the, the house. So, but you know, with the main brunt hitting Texas uh, as that migrates, I think, to the northeast, then starting late today, tomorrow, if there's good chance for maybe three to four inches of rain here. Wow. Uh, just depends on the street flooding we had a couple weeks ago was because we had three inches in one hour. And it pointed out, the uh, sadly, the state of the infrastructure is what they call the sewer and water board, which has the re- the accountability for the street drains and the pumps, et cetera. And there's, they call them catch basins here, but it's, you know, it's the gutter opening mm-hmm. where the, the gutter drains. There's 2,400 of them in the parish, county. Parish is what they call them down here, but in the county. And... Probably some significant percentage of them were non-operable because over the decades they had filled with dirt, debris, and I guess wasn't a priority to keep them open. Apparently not. So, yeah, they've. I know the ones that uh, on our street. There's one or two of them that are just non-functioning. Uh, so. If we get any of the really heavy rain from uh, Harvey or whatever that storm is, yeah, we could end up with street uh, street closing. People have already lost their jobs just since the uh, August flood because we were fortunate, like I said, only about a foot deep on our street. And it was gone in eight hours, but there were parts of town where businesses had to shut down, had a lot of damage. So, yeah, people lost their job because they weren't doing their job. So, oh, well, that's good, I suppose. I mean, you'd prefer, you'd prefer that they do their job, but exactly, exactly. Well, so, but what, what was it? What was it that he said? Uh, what Patton said in the in the movie? He says, "You, you know, you're either going to take that hill, or I'm going to replace you with somebody who will." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, so anyway, yeah, it's not it's not complicated. Fix the drains. Yeah, yeah. Fix the drain and keep the pumps working. <laughs> keep the pumps working. Guess Oddly, what? It's a catch basin, which means it fills up with the stuff. Which means you got to empty it every once in a while. <laughs> that's right. You got to uncatch every some of that once stuff. in a while. Yeah, that's right. And homeowners have a responsibility too. Don't put all your lawn clippings in the gutter because it's going to go down and fill up the catch basin. I mean, people do that. You know, so there's accountability really? and responsibility on all the, I think. I don't, you know, right. when, our, no, but. when our lawn 
service comes and he's cleaning up, I said, do not leave that in the gutter. Blow that back up onto the to the ground. It'll eventually, you know, it's just grass clippings. It'll break down, but right. do not blow that into the gutter or the catch basin. So Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. Uh, so when the... Moving the, back to model trains. Model, yes. When the uh, the object or the subject came up of relocating again, maybe to another part of the mm. country, I said, okay, I said this time there has to be consideration given for a big train room, either via, <laughs> either via basement, either, you know, depending on the architectural style, yes, for car garage or just a second story over the garage. Right. And my wife yeah. goes, I think that's a reasonable request. <laughs> I'm going, yay. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the second story over the garage because then no problems with the train room flooding. Ah, yeah, well, in another part of the country, maybe it wouldn't be a problem anyway. Yeah, but it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be a problem anywhere. That's right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, all my stuff is destroyed. Yes, but my trains are okay. So <laughs> I still have something to do, honey. Have a good night. So so what part of the country are you thinking now, Paul? Well, my wife is on a year-long consulting contract over in North Carolina, just south oh, okay. of the, at Devon Medical Center, which is a thousand-bed medical facility in Greenville. And they're putting in an organ transplant program. So we went over, well, I went over to visit because they paid. So is that uh, Wurlitzer or what? Wurlitzer? Wurlitzer, yes. You take yes. out the Steinways and you bring in a Wurlitzer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard uh, that one I'm before. Sorry. So it's uh, pretty town. Eastern Carolina University is there. And you're about ah, maybe an hour away from the Atlantic coast. But yet mm. you're far enough inland. Uh, there's a lot of waterways there. And a lot, that's just a, it's, a small town compared. It's more like Champagne, Chris. Oh, okay. Size-wise layout, really low cost of living. So we've already looked at a via Zillow and a few places. I've already found some oh, suspect properties that definitely have trained uh, opportunities. So we'll see. It's nothing. It's not going to happen before next summer. Uh, oh, okay. So we have time to think about it because her contract runs till almost first of June. And even if they oh, extend okay. it, uh, we may go ahead and move. So, but it's yeah. Some of these I've drooled over. I went, good grief, that is a big train room. <laughs> yeah, like it's forty by twenty-five. Mm. Wow, that, that's that's a pretty darn good size there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So and it's all finished. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a finished room with windows and stuff. So anyway, we will see. There's a lot of trains over there too. So. We shall see. So, Jim, I'd mentioned to you that Kathy Malott and uh, her friend Paul Hobbs were in, into the country. You know, she's in Great Britain, has the YouTube channel. Uh, Kathy Malott has all the how-to videos on there. She lives outside of London in a town called Birmingham. We would call it Birmingham, but they call it Birmingham. Hobbs is, uh, Paul's from Auckland, New Zealand. They came in town for the Orlando National Show. And so they stopped by. I invited them. I said, we'll come by the house. We'll talk trains. We'll go out to dinner. So really nice people. 
nice people. We came up, looked at what I was doing, and over two nights went out to dinner. She is the, uh, I guess, the equivalent of whatever Great Britain calls the NMRA. I was joking, and I said, so you're the queen of the NMRA in Great Britain. And she said, well, no, it's this kind of uh, position. So she said, why don't you come over for our national uh, show? And I said, let me see if I can make that happen, because it's in 2020. So I talked to my wife. I said, Pam, want to go to Great Britain again? And she goes, yeah, let's do that. So we're going to go for, for this show see what uh, modeling across the gray water looks like. Although she does American prototypes, she does the uh, New Haven. A New England road. Yes. And when you go to her Facebook page or her YouTube channel, uh, when you're watching her how-to videos and stuff, you'll see shots of her model railroad. Yeah, with a lot of... uh, Her favorite scheme, I believe she said, was the the green with the the gold... uh, lettering and stuff new haven oh, okay. so because i mentioned that you know one of the co-hosts was an actual prototype or prototype railroader from new england yeah really nice people had a good time and she since told me how much she enjoyed the seeing the national show there in orlando so did, did i had the time i was i was what's that Oh, I was just wondering if you end up going. No, I didn't because I had other things that had already been planned, like we met the kids at the beach and the grandsons and stuff like that. So I already had stuff on the the slot to do. But looking at next summer, as long as I'm not moving, I'm going to try and catch one of our national or at least large regional railroad shows. So, Well, look forward to seeing you there. Yep, because I knew you would be there. (laughs) <laughs> Where, what are the upcoming shows? Well, the next one is in Kansas City. That's close. The one after that is, uh, I think, Salt Lake City, 2019. Okay. And, and then much later will be uh, one in St. Louis. Okay. Well, s- certainly Kansas City is doable next summer. Mm-hmm. I've got two friends that are traveling across the country on passenger trains. Oh, yeah? That's just what they set out to do. And so husband and wife have taken some sleeper car accommodations and they're going from Florida, coming through New Orleans. They're going to spend a night or two here because he's a model railroader. Then they're going on to Phoenix. He used to live in Phoenix also, L.A., up the coast, and then across the... But I thought, nice trip. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and Amtrak fares are not that expensive certainly compared to flying yeah even if you got a sleeper compartment and stuff i thought if you if if you can get them i guess in the summer they're a lot harder to get but oh yeah yeah uh, i'm sure but the fares the fares are cheap somebody posted the fare the uh, coast starlight was like ridiculously cheap 98 bucks or something yeah something like uh la to uh seattle or something like that yeah like under 100 bucks yeah 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 See, I'd, and, I'd do that and then go on over to British Columbia and pick up the, uh, what do they call it, the transcontinental whatever it goes through, Kicking Horse Pass up in the Canadian Rockies? That's the Canadian. Okay. The one I that would, goes from like Toronto to Vancouver. Yes, I would love to do that. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Three nights on the train. Uh, is that, yeah, is yeah. that all it takes to go across Canada? 
I believe so. I think it's three nights on the train and you go to Toronto. Ah, we'll, do a, we'll do a live podcast. All three of us can go. We can do that. <laughs> we can do that in the off hours as long as they have Wi-Fi on the train. We can watch uh, Netflix. So. Yeah. No, we don't. It's, no, we can just like record it. You know, you record it with a, uh, you know, an iPhone. You record it with an iPhone or something like that. And yeah, then, Facebook uh, Live. You know, Facebook Live, yeah, and then uh, you know we get Joe Fugate to pay for the whole thing. And uh, let me get a memo off, memo off to Joe. Let yeah. me run it off. She, she, <laughs> Joe, got a concept pay, pay, for you to noodle. We have a, we have a concept. Fly everybody up to Boston. We'll take the Lakeshore. <laughs> we'll take the Lakeshore Limited. We'll take the Lakeshore Limited to Chicago. Then we'll take the the Empire. But no, we can't. We can't do that. We got to go the other way. So I got to go down to we'll wait till you get to South. South Carolina. So I'll meet you in South Carolina on the train, and okay. then we'll go. We'll go down to Florida, and then we'll go across the bottom. Uh, no, we got to go. How do we? No, we should, we need to go up to Chicago. We need to go up to Chicago, get Chris, then go on the uh, <laughs> Zephyr, Zephyr down to Los Angeles, and then take the Coast Starlight Starlight up to um, Washington, and then take the Canadian across. I mean, why not? Why not? Come on. Do you have the time off? No. <laughs> Do you, because you have every anticipation to still being employed after this trip, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, we could we could go like they call a sabbatical. Yeah, we could we could we could go like next week. I'm still not back to work yet, but you know, just you know, see if we, you know. Come on, fares are cheap right now, Joe. Just make it happen. All right, let me get an email off, Troy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> see if we can make it happen. That's oh, right. Golly. And then, and then Chris can write the whole thing off because it's you know, um, uh, oh, business uh, research. Yeah, yes. business. It's all research. Yeah, for that O scale box car. Uh, yes. <laughs> good one. Good one. <laughs> well, maybe Patterson call Ken. Maybe he'll want to go with us. Oh, I'm yeah. sure he would. Yeah. That would be fascinating. Golly, uh, can you imagine? Get like ten guys, you know, Patterson, get George. Well, the only problem, the only problem of that, you'd be saying mongoose constantly. Mongoose, uh, right mongoose, 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 mongoose. <laughs> oh gosh, the uh, the untrained personnel would be go. Do not go into that car. There are crazy people in that car. Yeah. Uh, why they can't see me nodding my head? What I am? We could all dress up as clowns while we were in there. Yeah, there you go. It's like freaking out. What they're all drunk? No, they're model railroaders. It's worse. Yeah, people go running and screaming. Oh no, model railroaders! They come. I'll catch you guys when you get back. I'll see. Yeah. Bunch of guys in the in the club car going. I like trains. I like trains. <laughs> yeah, sitting there twirling his thumbs. I like trains. I like trains. <sighs> anyway. I mentioned that to one of the neighbors, and he goes, his eyebrows go up, and really, you like trains. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, he like, just kind of backed away and about he, it. Then, <laughs> and you look at him and say, yeah, what's your hobby? Yeah, yeah. Going out on Saturday night drinking? Hmm, Okay. I think I'd pay less for mine. Actually, maybe not. But No. Uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's that completely is, debatable. I think uh, yeah. bar hopping would be uh, lesser expensive. Possibly, yes. 
Depends even on what you're drinking. Depends on what you're drinking. Well, even after you consider f- treating a cirrhosis of the liver, it's still cheaper than model trained. Uh, and tequilas are just incredibly expensive. I don't drink it, so I don't know. But I've heard prices mentioned. I go, you got to be kidding me. That could buy me a brass, uh, <laughs> brass O scale big boy. That's right. I mean, because I know you need at least three of those, right? Ah. Everybody need everybody needs three brass O scale big boys. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. I don't have room on this layout for the uh, Genesis big boy I've got. So I sure don't need. Uh, yeah, that's the pull all the box. That's the pull all the Proto Forty Eight O scale box cars that Athens going to make. Yeah, yeah, I've got my order in. That's mm-hmm. right. They're going to go fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Jim, we're already sold out. Did you get in? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, we had them. They're gone. But there's no market for them. What do you mean there's no market for them? That's the thing that, that's the thing that always kills me, the people that, that say, you know, there's no market for proto, modern Proto 48. Really? Well, you sold some of these in Proto 48, right? Uh-huh. Well, okay. Well, I mean, if there's no market for them, you must still have them. So I'll, I'll buy whatever you have left. Oh, no, they're sold out. They're sold out, yes, but there's no market for them. Correct. How many of the O-scale ones do you have? Oh, I've got at least 50 of those. Really? But you have none of the Proto 48 ones that there's no market for because you sold them all. Yes. Yeah, you sold, you sold all 24 of them. Well, you know, the, the order of the bigger one is like thousands. I know, but it's <laughs> possibly, possibly, yeah. but it's still like... You know, really? You can't say there's no market. Okay, the market yes, may yes, not be can, large. Because it's like if you only order a, you know, a small amount and you sold through those small amount because you had orders for that small amount and then you prospectively buy a few more of the, the other ones, well, yeah, there's going to be a few left over. But it doesn't mean that there's this gigantic market just because they sold out. You know, yeah, it's, no. it's kind of like saying, you know what? We we out of out of these ten steamer trunks, <laughs> you know, out of these ten steamer trunks, they're all sold out. But I still have like fifty of these smaller suitcases left over. And then it's like saying, okay, well, yeah, there's this huge market for steamer trunks. No, just, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. I didn't say there. Didn't say it was huge market. Yes. <laughs> Let me so. ask you a question. So if I put. Uh, a very good O-scale model, locomotive, mm-hmm. like whomever, but that's uh, high quality, highly detailed. And it's mm-hmm. sitting on a piece of track, and next to it is a comparable quality Proto 48 and sitting on some track. How much visual impact difference is there? Um, if they're sitting next to each other, I will say you can tell the difference. Okay, because one can is definitely, going to be a little smaller. No, no, no. They look exactly the same. What okay. you're going to ch- you, what you're going to notice is that the wheels, the wheels and the track look right. Okay. The, if you're looking at them by themselves, I will say that O scale is fine. I mean, okay. it's like a lot of other things. You don't realize it. Um, you, you, you don't realize it until you see it. 
Okay. And they're right, and they're right next to each other because the the it, the wheels are, are are what are strikingly obvious. It, the track you can kind of say, well, you don't really see the difference. Okay. And it, it can be tough to tell. I can tell the difference, but I'm you know I'm I'm a track guy, but it's, sure. I won't deny that. It's just, it's one of these things. I totally understand the people that have a ton of equipment. It's just, we're getting back into this age old argument is, you know, you could make it right. You could. Yeah. It's just, you won't because this, it's the same, like, well, I would change the S scale, but I have so much H to H O. Or I would change the, you know, I would change the O scale, but I have so much of this. And you just, you don't want to switch over because this, there's an expense and there's, time involved and you know do you really want to spend your time doing that and i i understand um and a lot but i what really get is when people say well we've never had anybody ask for it and many proto 48ers just aren't gonna do it because they know you're gonna say no they know the company is gonna say no we're not gonna make it so why am i even gonna bother asking you because the answer is going to be no, we won't do it. You know, you look, you talk to KD, for instance, you know, could you make a double shelf coupler? Well, we'll call it double shelf coupler okay. in, in O scale. You know, make a double shelf coupler in O scale because you have, you know, um, Atlas making these beautiful cars, these beautiful tank cars. They make a lot of them, you know, even, you know, you know people might want to put the correct couplers on those. And they just look at you like like you have fifteen heads. Well, you know, maybe we'll, well, no one's ever asked us for it. Yeah, that's because anybody who cares won't ask you because you will say no. Why am I going to call and buy? You know, the only people who call and ask are the people who don't know any better. Oh, this is what I you know the people who don't know and people who are are people who are new to whatever gauge it is because they're used to HO when you have everything in HO. And you come into it and, you know, it's like I have, I have better things to do with my time than to fight with KD about getting a double shelf coupler because I know their eyes are going to glass over and they're going to say no. So I'm not going to ask, you know, I'm not going to ask Atlas. I'm not, you know, you're not going to ask people for these things because they're just going to say no. So when you do ask them, they say, well, no one's ever asked us. Yeah. Okay, let because me ask you, know, you to clarify well, I, something. A while ago, you said what you would notice would be... Oh, sorry. ...the wheels. Yeah, mostly, so is yeah. that because... And I'm just going to make an example that in HO we have, you know, 30, 36, 40, 42-inch wheels depending on application. Mm-hmm. But most freight cars, let's just say 100 ton or 36-inch diameter wheels. Correct. Yeah. Now, you're going to see the the wheel tread is what's going to be different. Oh, okay. It's the width of the tread, not the diameter. Width. No, no, no. The diameter is the same. It's the width of the tread. So, I mean, it's like okay. you're talking code, code RP25 and code 88 wheels. Okay. Gotcha. You, you can see the difference. Okay. I agree. Um, you know, you may not notice the difference until you see two of them together. And you're like, oh, my goodness, that looks so much more realistic. Okay. So the Proto 48 is going to have the more prototypical wheel width. Okay. Yeah. So the the trains look more massive on the track because the the wheels are smaller. Yeah. 
our wheels are narrower. Sorry, I get off on tangents. It's no, Idaho. no, no. Uh, I just thought, okay, wonder what the point of reference is. No, that's crystal clear. I understand. Yeah, it's more. It's mostly just you know, it's it's the the difference in track width is less noticeable than the wheels are. But the problem is, once you get into Proto Forty Eight, then the you have to change the frogs because you know a Proto Forty Eight wheel will fall down into a standard O scale frog, even if you use the O scale frog and corrected the wheel gauge. Okay. The track gauge. If you if you corrected the track gauge then the frog would still be wrong because it's too deep. The, the flange weighs too large. Okay. The good thing about Proto 48 is you can actually use, if somebody creates it, you can use a self-guarded frog because the wheel treads are the right size. Okay. So well, I want to use self-guarded frogs on my, my HO scale railroad. Can't unless you do Proto 87. Okay. So. And for the listeners... And me, who don't know what a self-guarded frog is, what is it? You can look on the, the latest What's Neat uh, on Model Railroad Hobbyist, and there's this great demonstration over at the St. Louis RPM meet, um, a self-guarded frog showing the different examples and also a model. Is that in the August? August What's September. Neat? Yeah, it's the latest one. Okay. One that just came out, I think, this last week. Okay, well then I will, because I haven't watched it yet. All right, my life it means will now you, be more you don't, complete. Exactly, you don't have guardrails. <laughs> you don't have guardrails. There's actually a lip on the frog that holds, okay. that rubs against the side of the wheel to hold it in the flange way. Okay. Yeah. So it it the the only time you'll ever see them are in yards or industrial areas, you will not see them on a mainline. Mainline switches do not use self-guarded frog. Uh, you will only see them in areas. They're rated at a particular speed. Mm-hmm. You can't go really fast through a self-guarded frog. Right. Okay, very good. That was it, crystal clear. It had garbled before. Okay. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, the, the other on, thing about a self-guarded frog is, you know, I think modelers think of, uh, like, guardrails pulling the flange of the wheel over to one side, yeah. um, a self-guarded frog, in my mind, kind of pushes the lip of the wheel mm-hmm. at the location of the frog over, over to one mm-hmm. side. So it, it, it removes the, it removes the, uh, the, the, what is it, the, the guardrail on one side, or on, on either side of the frog, because it's, yeah. There's there's this mechanical thing pushing the the lip of the wheel at the location of the frog over to over to one side. So that that's that's just what a, a self guarded frog does. It, okay. You, it's hard to picture it, but once you see how it how it looks, then then it makes it makes a lot more sense because the, the there's these uh, protrusions from the top of the frog that stick up over the over the top of the rail. That, that perform this function. Okay. It, it, it isn't something. It isn't something you would put in everywhere, but it, it it would be an interesting thing to have a couple of them in a yard because that's where you'll see them. Okay. Yeah. So then I'll certainly watch Mr. Patterson's "What's Neat" and get myself an education. You get an education on that. Education. An education. Yes. Yes. Okay, what else? 
Chris, who is the gentleman you wanted to try and get on? That was, uh, no, KPAC. Uh, I don't know his full name, but I just I just sort of know him as KPAC. I see in his YouTube videos, and he's done a battery power install into a HO scale, I think it's like a Kato SD40-2. Okay. Uh, so it's a hood locomotive. So he crammed a battery and a receiver in on this thing, and it's dead rail. K-Pack. So, K-Pack, yeah. It's, How do you spell that? K-P-A-C-K. Okay. I wanted to make sure. I'm going to go look at Um. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if... Uh, you see, the problem is I just don't have an email address for him, but hopefully he'll see a correspondence request through YouTube or something. Yeah, I've done that before and got responses from people. So uh, I'll, I'll see if he'll respond to me through YouTube, and then we'll, we'll try to get his email address so we can all chat together. Yeah, I, I think it would be pretty interesting content for anybody interested in dead rail, you know? Oh, absolutely. Battery power, dead rail. Very good. Well, I think we've milked these uh, subjects for all they're worth. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yep. And, uh, well, Paul, I posted the, the playlist onto the Ball Railroad Hobbyist uh, podcast. Okay. Page. So go through there. There's also uh, a, an RTR-9 uh, install. Okay. With the remoter and some and some other stuff too. Not all right. We'll do. Well, I think you gentlemen can uh, return to the life of uh, wild swinging single guys. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds I'll awesome. Back out. I'll go back outside and lay some brick favors. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, my wife's got to go back to the East Coast tomorrow, so I will make use of the afternoon. All right. All right. Hey, thank you. Thank you, guys. We'll talk. All right. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye. Bye.